Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. We all want love in our lives. How do we find our soulmate? And really, what is a soulmate? To help us understand what makes a great relationship, how we can find our soulmate, and how we can turn our mate into our soulmate. My guest on this episode of The Spark is Ariel Ford. Ariel is a best-selling author and is a leading personality in personal growth and contemporary spirituality movement. For the past 30 years, she's been living, teaching, and promoting consciousness through all forms of media. She joins us this episode to help us discover that no matter how old, what size or shape we're in, finding our soulmate and finding many soulmates in this lifetime is truly a possibility. Ariel Ford shows us how. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. When I first heard about your book, Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate, I went back and looked at The Soulmate Secret. And the interesting thing to me is I'm one of those people who I've always believed we have a soulmate. And you're the first person who opened me up to the idea that we have more than one soulmate. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So first, let me define for you what I think a soulmate is. I believe that a soulmate is first and foremost somebody you can completely be yourself with, somebody with whom you share unconditional love. And when you look into their eyes, you have the experience of being home. So if you accept that definition, then it's obvious that we all have many soulmates, whether it's our parents, our children, our siblings, our best friend, our coworkers, even our cats and dogs fit into that description. So for anybody out there who's single and listening to us, the really great news is you already have many, many, many soulmates. And the fastest way to call in a romantic soulmate is by having a daily gratitude practice of giving thanks for all the love you already have. I love that. It's like then what you're doing is you're getting on that frequency that says, I have this in my life. Exactly. You know, I studied the law of attraction for over 35 years now. And the thing that makes that work is A, the law of attraction is always working, just like gravity is always working, whether you're paying attention to it or not. And a lot of people who are looking for love are coming from this place of a love deficit. Oh, I have no love. I'm so lonely. I'm unlovable. All the good ones are taken. It's too late for me. The one that was got away or whatever crazy story they've made up. And living in that story, they're actually repelling the possibility of love. So first we have to get into what's true and what's so. And what's so is we all already have a lot of love in our lives. And when you're on the frequency of, thank God I have so much love, you can't help but not bring more love to you. It's true when you talked about having a pet. I have this standard poodle, Jules, who literally is my soulmate. I bring her to work with me every day when I used to go to the office. I would always say, I don't know if I'm the co-therapist or she's the co-therapist. 
because right. she's so intuitive and I feel so deeply linked to this dog. And it's when we're in that place in our heart, we're radiating that love period. It's not distinguished right between a human or an animal. No, because love is love is love, right? In the famous words of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, so I actually believe our pets are also soulmates. And not all pets are. You know, I'm a cat person. I've had cats that are soulmates, and I have cats that are just cats. I love them. We have a connection. We communicate. But I don't have that deep heart thing that I have with my soulmate pets that you have with Jules. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you. I've never had this with a dog before, and I've had dogs my whole life. Yeah, it, isn't it the best? It is the best. It is. And so how do we recognize, like you were saying, we, you said we feel at home, we feel really comfortable, there's this knowingness. I want to kind of dispel some of the myths of soulmate, if you will. Yeah, so, well, first, let's define what love is. Because this is where people get really, really screwed up, okay? So most people think love is a feeling. And yes, there are feelings to love. But the state that we know of being in love is really just nature's trick to get us to procreate. It is the world's greatest drug high. But it is, in fact, a drug high. It's our brain cascading waves of dopamine and oxytocin and adrenaline and, you know, and it feels great. But it is not love. Real, mature, adult love is a behavior. It's a choice, it's a practice, it's an action, it's a way of being. And while I can love you, we can be soulmate, lifelong partners, we will have days where we hate each other. And it doesn't mean we don't love each other. So first we have to understand what love is because if you don't understand that and then you get in a relationship and then the honeymoon phase ends and it always ends, right? Then you're thinking, oh, He's not my soulmate. She's not my soulmate. I've made a mistake. And, you know, so many divorces could be avoided if they just understood what normal is. And, you know, I'm going to start quoting somebody I'm sure you're very familiar with, and that's my favorite marriage genius, John Gottman. So what normal is, according to this scientist, is that every single couple has a minimum of nine irreconcilable differences. These are things you're never, ever, ever, ever going to agree on. But what you can do is learn to come up with creative solutions and learn how to live together. So the most common one is money. And most couples have a spender and a saver. And it doesn't mean anybody's right or wrong, but it does mean we need to respect each other's positions and find ways to live together with our money. You know, then there's sex. One wants it all the time. One wants it twice a month. You know, there are creative solutions to that. If one wants it hot. One wants it cold. You know, one's always late. One's on time. One's a neat freak, clean freak. The other one's a messy slob. These are not reasons to get divorced. And yet people do it all the time. Oh, if only I could change her. If only I could change him. But what they don't understand is what normal is right? And that's just normal. John Gottman is the absolute end-all and be-all on relationship research. He's had a thing at the University of Washington called the Marriage Lab for 50 years. 
and he can now observe any married couple for 15 minutes and predict with 97% accuracy if they'll still be married in three years. That is incredible. But it's true, you know, yeah. it's really important. If you, you know, I always tell people, listen, finding the soulmate is really the easy part. The work is in keeping them and learning how to live with them. Because I promise you, they come with the owner's manual to know where to press all your buttons and they will get pressed sometimes all at once. You know, so it requires that you put on your big girl panties and your big boy pants and learn how to deal. Well, I've always said that love brings up anything unlike itself for the purpose of being healed. Yes. So yes. when we actually are safe with someone, that is when our stuff can really come up. And it doesn't look pretty and it's messy. Oh, it's so ugly. It's so horrible. But, you know, Harville Hendricks, who's the other god in this field, you know, so Harville says that the true purpose of a soulmate marriage is to create a sacred container for all of our childhood wounds to surface and be healed. So the purpose of marriage is healing. And when did we ever see healing be easy or fast? You know, but that's the whole point. That's why, you know, we're drawn to somebody who's going to hit those buttons. And the question is, are you man enough or woman enough to go in there and be vulnerable and reveal yourself and be transparent and be healed. So powerful. And it's so scary for so many people. Oh, it's terrifying and it's not fun. It's totally not fun. And it comes out of left field. You know, one minute everything's fine and peachy and then suddenly a bomb drops, you know, and like, you know, like my go-to is defensiveness. I get defensive really easily. And, you know, I've learned more about myself in 22 years of marriage than I did in 20 years of therapy. Therapy was nice. I'm glad that I did it. It helped me with certain things. But if you really, if you really want to take the escalator to spiritual enlightenment, get married. No doubt. We look really good when we're by ourselves. We can look really good. Yeah. Because our patterns aren't being triggered. Right. And one of the things I, that I learned this year about how to really learn to have more empathy for your partner was, you know, I, my favorite thing to do is watch this TV show called Law and Order. Okay. I love Law and Order. I've seen every episode multiple times. I don't know what it is about that show. I'm just a junkie for it. And I was thinking one day, you know, what if the next time Brian and I get into a tiff. What if I imagined that I was in a court of law and I was his defense attorney and I had to explain to the judge and the jury why he's behaving the way he's behaving? That alters everything completely. Because I, A, see it's not about me. You know, what in him got triggered? How can I be the loving, kind, respectful partner? that's going to not kill him off for, you know, exposing a wound, right? So there's, there's things that I, I wrote, Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate, because I needed it, right? It, uh, it's the book I wish that on my wedding day, somebody would have handed it to me, because it would have saved so much time and energy. So there are ways to do it, but you have to be willing to be vulnerable and authentic and learn how to communicate 
and figure out that fighting isn't the way. Like if you're about to escalate into World War III, give yourself a time out. Go into your spiritual toolkit, figure out how to get back to heart neutrality. And then, you know, using your skills, have a conversation that makes sense. When you get so angry like that, it's like we literally are seeing our partner as the saber-toothed tiger. You know, it's that primitive part of our brain that gets triggered, the fight or flight. I tell my couples that I work with, you're not in your own right mind if you're in that activated mind and you can't solve the problem from that place. No, no, it's really, it's really hard. I wouldn't want your job for anything in the world. I would never in a million years try to do couples counseling. You know, it's like I've learned how to manage it and share it. But to actually be the referee is like, I'm not ready for this. Fortunately, there are very talented people like you that have studied it, have thousands of hours behind them, and they know what to do. Well, thank you. It's such a gift when you see these clients that come in, like that you're talking about, where what they're fighting about is that one person's putting too much spice in the food, and the other person's saying, well, you don't like the wine that I choose. And they're locking horns and it's this huge issue that they're literally considering separating. And it's like, no, that's just a symptom, guys. This has nothing to do with what the real issue is. So we understand a little bit more about what the definition of love is. I have to absolutely admit, I mean, I've been addicted to love in, in my life and that feeling of being in love, like being in love with love and mistaking that for our soulmate. What I'm curious about is something that you said in your interview with Misa that I was listening to, that oftentimes when you meet that soulmate, you're not getting all the sparks. You're not getting this big jolt. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, because, you know, what I like to talk about is manifesting a soulmate life partner. So you could meet somebody and have all that hot chemistry and all those feelings and, oh, we've spent lifetimes together. But it's very likely they have no capacity to be your life partner, you know, especially if you know what your must-haves are and what your deal breakers are and what you want your life to look like, you know, are you going to just go for that chemistry and then it's going to burn out and you're going to be heartbroken and miserable? Or are you willing to like take your time to get to know somebody that has the heart traits and qualities of the kind of person you want to share your life with, the kind of person you're willing to be quarantined with, you know, and you can't know that in the first five meetings with them. You know, you can have all these hot feelings. Oh, I hope he's the one. Maybe he's the one. And you don't know, you know, for instance, when Brian and I met, We both knew the day we met that we were going to end up together. Everybody that was in the room with us knew it. We got engaged three weeks later, but we didn't get married for a year. And the reason was, is that I, I was an old bride. I was a first time bride at 44. So I knew that I didn't know him. Like I had psychic messages and spiritual things happening and everything on paper looked good. But I was not willing to make the biggest decision of my life based on feelings, you know? And so we took a year. And I explained to him in the beginning, it's like, yeah, you seem to be a really great guy. Let's spend a year together and find out. 
You know, do we want the same things? How do we get along? Can we work through stuff? And it was just such a relief to find out that he was this very mature, responsible, level-headed, grounded, caring, giving person. But it could have gone the other way too. If I had just gone on the feelings and said, oh yeah, let's elope to Las Vegas, it could have been a disaster. So really taking that time to know each other's heart and souls a little bit more. And I imagine too, to know and understand each other's wounds a little bit more. Oh, absolutely. You know, and we made a joke out of our wounds. So he's a youngest child and his core wound is wanting to be heard. I'm an oldest child. I am super bossy and I don't listen to anybody, you know? So in the beginning of our relationship, he was always complaining, you're not listening to me. And I would parrot back what he had said because I could do that, but he was right. I wasn't listening to him. And luckily he didn't suppress anything. He wasn't the first man to say to me, you're not listening to me. And that's when I started studying Gottman. And you know, the Gottman says the absolute number one thing you need to do in a relationship is what he calls bidding, where you're facing the person, you're not looking at your cell phone or any other screens, your knees are facing them, your eyes are facing them, and you're literally giving them 100% of your attention. You know, that one thing can save a marriage. I think the word bidding is kind of strange, but that's what he calls it. And so I had to train myself to do that. And like most men, not everything he said was captivating and fascinating. We have some different interests, but I thought, you know what, this is important to him. So I'm going to listen and I'm going to listen closely because he cares about that. I, I was terrible in the beginning. I went into an into getting married with zero partnership skills. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I do think we have to grow a lot of these skills. Again, when we're just in our friendships oh, yeah. and we're just talking to people that are really interested in what we're interested in, this issue wouldn't come up, you yeah. know. And when you were talking about it, what it reminds me of is, you know, oftentimes people will do that kind of listening with their little kids. Because I can remember when my daughter, who's 22 now, was like six or seven years old and she loved Hannah Montana. So like every night I had to sit on the end of her bed and she'd talk about the episode for like half an hour. I didn't care one bit about it, but did I give her audience? Absolutely. Right. Would I have given my partner that same audience? Maybe not. You know, like you, I'm the oldest child and have been, you know, <laughs> really, uh, charged with being bossy bridges. So, well, well, what I do with Brian is what one day early in our marriage, I found myself like this. I don't remember what I was doing, but I, and I was like, oh, oh my God, I became this woman. And I stopped and I said to him, I'm really sorry. I said, and the next time I do it, and unfortunately there will be a next time, I would like you to say to me in the sweetest voice possible, when did Sheila enter the room? Now, Sheila's my mother's name and she is also very bossy. Now, I love my mother but that's where I got this from. And he got it instantly and he said, yes. And the next time I get too patronizing, you can call me Wayne. That was his father's name. And that just became this sort of easy, lighthearted way when I was getting overbearing, he'd laugh at me and say, oh, hey, Sheila, how are you? Or if he was up on his soapbox, it's like, oh, geez, Wayne's here. You know, so it's a, a thing I call wabi-sabi love. 
wabi-sabi's the ancient Japanese aesthetic of finding beauty and perfection in imperfection. So since we know we're both imperfect, we found ways to joke about our imperfections. That is so great. I mean, that's so great. Instead of it being a hot button, which it could be, or oh, saying yeah. it in a way like, oh my God, you're being your mother. Piss me off to no end, right? I just gave them permission. You know, because saying somehow calling me Sheila was better than saying you're like your mother, because that, you know, is like a put down. But this way, it was a lot more playful. The other thing that we would do, like every once in a while, he would catch himself saying, oh, you're not listening to me. And then he'd stop and say, oh, right, that's my issue. And sometimes he was right. And sometimes I was, sometimes he was just triggered because he wants to be heard. And, uh, and it never changes. After 22 years, it never changes. Because the thing that I learned after years of therapy and doing every self-help personal growth thing on the planet, here's the bad news. Whatever your core wound or core wounds are, you're going to die with them. Now, they'll get better. You'll learn how to mitigate them. You'll learn how to manage them. But they're never going away completely. You are going to die with whatever that is. Brian will be 98 years old and on his deathbed. And if I'm on the phone doing something else, it's very likely he'll say, you're not listening to me. I'm over here cringing. I know you can see my face. I'm, I'm cringing because it's like, I know we want to just believe, okay, I'm going to meet this right person. We're going to work out all of our stuff. And then it's just going to be happily ever after. Well, you know, it's a happily even after is more likely what it is. Happily even after. Because for the most part, if you choose wisely, which is why you really want to take your time and you develop your communication skills, then, you know, 90% of the time it can be pretty awesome. So we're, what, on week five or six of quarantine here? And I'm just amazed at really how peaceful it is because we're not trying to change each other. We know each other's stuff. We have the, the house worked out. So I have this very fabulous office that's just mine. I can't hear the TV or whatever it is he's doing. And then we have our habits. Like we used to go out to lunch every day. That was sort of our daily date going out to lunch. Well, we can't go out to lunch anymore. So now we tape some of our favorite TV shows and we have lunch in the living room and we watch The Voice or we watch, there's a new one on with those Property Brothers guys called Celebrity IOU. Have you seen this? Uh -uh. It's the cutest show ever. So they have like Brad Pitt wants to remodel his makeup artist home when she's on vacation and the Property Brothers come in with Brad and do this whole remodel. You know, so we'll do that. So it's kind of like we're still having our special time together, but it looks different now. So you're making it different, just being creative with it. How fun. Yeah, it is fun. I love the longevity of your relationship and debunking the myth that somehow everything's figured out. And I, I love this happily even after. Yeah. So perfect. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is that we're both, we, we just really like each other as people. And there's just a lot of respect there and a lot of space to be as crazy as we are. 
And so that really helps, you know. And I never relied on him to be my absolute everything. You know, I came in with a lot of friends. He came in with a history of a lot of friends. Some of our friends are now friends, and some of them don't even know each other. So there's like this three parts. There's my life, his life, and there's our life together. Brian actually has a name for that. He calls it soulmate math. So in arithmetic, one plus one equals two. But in soulmate math, one plus one equals 11, and your love blesses the world. He just made it up, you know? It's just kind of like when you have two loving people who love each other, exponentially that love gets poured on to your circle. Beautiful. Yes. So it's not just the two of you. I thought you were going to say one plus one equals three, but I get it. It's one plus one equals 11 because it is multiplied out. And these concentric circles of love to your friends, your families, I imagine, and then all of theirs. Yeah. One of the, one of the greatest life tips I ever figured out is this. And now is a great time to do it. For the people in your life that are crazy making, the, the ones that you can't completely disconnect from, what you can do is limit them to just homeopathic doses in your life. You can just put them in this whole new category. You don't have to talk to them every day or every week. You can just say, hey, listen, I've got 15 minutes on this day. Let's connect then. And I have people that I just love. So I have devised a way to not cut crazy people or divas or drama queens out of my life. I just have them in my life in homeopathic doses. So maybe I talk to them 15 minutes, three times a year, but I don't have the daily or weekly draining drama because I no longer have the nervous system to deal with it, nor do I want to be their comforter. How does that affect your relationship when you don't have that drain on you? It gives me more energy. There's more me to be available for the people I want to be there for, you know? And so it's, it's a very big act of self-care to do this. everybody, this is Adrian from Feminist Hot Dog, and I want you to join me and my awesome guests as we put the fun in feminism. It's true. On Feminist Hot Dog, we explore all the ways feminism makes the world a better place, no matter who you are. So come hang out on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Mountain on NOCO FM, and don't forget, love yourself and love your buns. See you on Wednesday. I'm Kev Cat, and I host No Coke Radio, the weekly hour-long show dedicated to spotlighting musicians within the LGBTQIA community. You can listen to the show every Friday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time at NoCo FM. That's N-O-C-O dot F-M. I want to go back to when you were talking about, because so many people are searching, searching for their soulmate. 
I feel like I get Instagram stuff every day about find your soulmate and this is what it looks like. How do people start? What do you recommend people do? It's really kind of easy. So all you need to do is write down a list of the people that you love that, that and you know they love you. Whether it's 10 or 20, it doesn't matter. And then every day, whatever your meditation mindfulness practice is, just look at that list, close your eyes, drop into your heart, and just send them a big cosmic hug. And just say to them on the inner plane, I am so grateful that you're in my life. I love you so much. Thank you for blessing me with your love. It can be as simple as that. It's just an acknowledgement from a heart level that you are connected to these loving beings. It's that simple. Wow. And we make it so complicated. It doesn't need to be complicated. Oh, did I do it right? And, you know, what's a better way to do it? And, you know, love doesn't live in your head. Love lives in your heart. Yeah. So once we get this, we attract this partner and we, and we spend a year with them. A, a lot of what you're just sharing, like with you and Brian's relationship, is then how do you turn your mate into your soulmate? It's really about loving who they are, where they are. You know, so it's not about fixing somebody over there. It's over here where the work is done. Within you. Yes, yes, because you chose them. You knew who they were when you got in there. Unless some addiction showed up or super bad behavior, chances are they've always been who they are. Something really radical happened. And so now, who can you be in a way that's more kind and loving? You know, one of the things I suggest you do is that you write a love letter to them. You know, you sit down and make a list of all the reasons you fell in love with them in the first place and all the amazing things you've done over the course of your relationship and just make this long list and then turn that list into a really beautiful love letter and then hide it somewhere where they'll find it when you're not around. That's a really great way to reignite some love because A, bringing up those memories is going to release some chemicals in your brain plus these memories are going to come back and the response is obviously going to be great. So, you know, do that. The other thing to do is to really, what here, I'm going to show you my rose colored glasses. So go onto Amazon and buy yourself a pair of these rose colored glasses. <laughs> I love it. There's, there was a study done at the uh, university of Buffalo years ago by a, a psychologist who studied happily married couples who consciously chose to wear rose-colored glasses, consciously chose to see the best in their partners. And what they discovered is that these couples had longer, happier, healthier lives. And the reason they did is because they were always looking for what's right instead of looking for what's wrong. So women in particular are thrown to looking for what's wrong so they can go change it and fix it. But if you had your attention on looking for what's right, everything would change. And, and what Gottman recommends is that you give your partner five acknowledgements or appreciations every single day. So if you were gonna take that on as a challenge, 
you'd be forced to spend your time looking for what's right. So at the end of the day, you could say, you know what, honey, you are just so brilliant. I saw you helping little Johnny with his math homework today, and he really got it once you explained it to him. And, you know, the fact that you took the garbage out and I didn't have to remind you just made me so happy because I didn't have to touch that stinky, smelly stuff. And you are my superhero because I saw you help our old neighbor, Nellie. Things like that would change everything. And for the women out there hearing this saying, well, why do I have to do all the work? Because I know some of you are thinking that. Here's why. Because right now you're the saner person in the relationship. Because if you start acknowledging your partner five times every single day, eventually they're just going to automatically start doing it too. You know, so it's just a shift in your perception, a shift in your behavior that can make all the difference. It's like if nobody changes, I always think of it like a pond, this stagnant pond that's got this pond water in it. And it only takes one person to open up this tributary where the fresh water is coming in that changes then everything. It then becomes a dynamic system, right? So it's, it's like, why not? If we, like you're saying, have the critical eye, then it's, it's that principle in physics. What we focus on expands, right? Right. Well what you put your attention on grows. You want to have your attention on all the mistakes and how bad and wrong they are, right? Right? Because nobody wakes up in the morning thinking, oh, how could I make Stephanie miserable today? What could I do to ruin her day? Nobody's operating like that, and yet we respond as if they did. One of the things that I, I love is that it, it's saying, I'm going to take personal responsibility for my experience. Yes. Instead absolutely. of expecting our partner to maybe fix it for us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Personal responsibility is the key to happiness because that's all we have any power over anyway. So how am I going to be responsible for my response? Now, I may not like what you did. I could disapprove of it. I could be damaged by it. But I'm a mature adult. What kind of choice can I make? And how can I communicate with you in a way that is kind and respectful, but still gets my needs met. And that's something you need to learn how to do. I mean, and you have to spend some time and you can Google any of this and learn it in five minutes. I mean, Harville Hendricks' whole listening practice. And in my book, Turn Your Mate Into Your Soulmate, I actually put all this stuff in there as scripts. I mean, this stuff exists. Like you don't know how to have a difficult conversation. It's in the book. It, it's not rocket scientists, but you need to learn how to do it. And you have to have the willingness to do it. And that's just it. Uh, oftentimes, I don't like the word relationships are so much work because work has this negative connotation. Instead saying relationships are intention right. and, and attention. So we, we have to put that effort and intention into it. And you can't just have a willy-nilly conversation where you're just unloading on your partner or it's just an emotional free-for-all because we're married instead we're going to utilize a tool exactly. like like harville Hendricks' listening tool and and how we can drop into this open-hearted listening instead of i've got to be right and you've got to agree with me for this discussion to go anywhere right yeah you have to learn how to agree to disagree i may not like your position but i totally respect your ability to have it and you know, we're just going to not do that, whatever it is. It's driving you crazy or driving me crazy. 
So what were the biggest challenges that you and Brian had to break through and then you got to the other side? Probably the biggest one was around money because I grew up without any money and my parents fought every single day. Plus I'm Jewish, so I have it in my DNA to like have this ongoing fear that there's never enough. So I grew up in a home where there was constant daily fights about money. My grandmother lived with us for a while. I heard all about the depression. You know, I was so afraid of not having enough. And I decided when I grew up, I was going to have a career and I'd make plenty of money and I'd keep the money. Then I married a guy who grew up in a wealthy home, got out of college, made a ton of money out of college and was taught to buy the best of everything, had never shopped a sale in his life. And that was just normal for him. So suddenly we come together. Now we're both making money. So it wasn't that there wasn't money. It was how the money was being spent. And, you know, this is 22 years ago, but he's spending $75 on a bottle of wine and everything he buys is Armani. And I'm like freaking out because I've never paid retail for anything, never owned a designer, anything. And finally, I realized I had never told him the truth about my childhood and about my fear around money and my issues around money. And I saw that it was my problem. I was the one who was having the response. And so we came up with a solution. And it's what Harville would call a creative solution. We decided to have three bank accounts. There was my money, there was his money, and there was our money. And in the our money category, the agreement was nobody spent more than $500 without consulting the other. And then we didn't police each other on the individual accounts. And that worked out just fine because that gave me this sense of control that I needed. And it worked out really well. And I don't think we actually had a joint credit card till we've been married for 15 years. Because by then I was so sure that, you know, here I'm married to somebody who's very financially responsible. And I had this feeling of safety and security. And, you know, he got to a point where he just said, listen, you deal with all the money. You hire the accountant and the bookkeeper. I don't even need to know because he doesn't have a poverty consciousness bone in his body. You know, so that was sort of the biggest issue. Now, even today, having worked on this issue my entire life, I would say I'm 90% cured, but this is how I know I'm going to die with this as a core wound. There are still days, especially now, when all my sources of income have stopped, where I can easily get triggered. But then I do my tapping, I do my Sedona method, I do my walking, I look at my retirement account, which actually I'm not looking at it this month, but previously I would look at it and remind myself that there's no way I can end up as a homeless bag lady. That's just not in the future. It's not possible, but it's still a core wound. And it's, it's not even just a core wound. I say that it's generational and it's in my DNA because I'm Jewish. You know, we've had 5,000 years of having it drilled into us, not enough. So that was our biggest issue, and it's not an issue anymore. And are you able to share with him when that does get triggered for you? Is that oh, yeah. a natural thing then to just say, hey, this is up for me, and, and it doesn't become something in between you. It's something that you can actually share with him. Oh, yeah, no, well, you know, as soon as this whole thing started and, and speaking things started being canceled, he just sat me down and he said, let's remember 
We have a nice nest egg in the retirement account. If we need to tap into it, we will. It was just like such a logical thing. Of course, you know, the part of me that's thinking about the future, oh my God, I would never want to do that. But the reality is, why else would we use it? Of course we would use it for that. So yes, we can definitely talk about those kinds of things. So do you feel like Brian is definitely your soulmate here? You've been together 22 years. Oh, absolutely. No doubt that our life together was predestined, that they were meant to be together, that we've been together in, in the past. And I also know that there were other possible soulmates out there for me. So it wasn't like it had to be him. I'm glad that it is because he's the most fascinating human being I've ever met. Like just when I think I know everything, I learn something new. You know, he's constantly morphing and changing. So yeah, I definitely believe that he is my soulmate. And, you know, I have friends that are soulmate friends. Sometimes I don't talk to them for six months, but the second we connect, it's like no time has passed. I always think of them as the two o'clock in the morning people. Like if I had to call somebody at two in the morning, who could I count on? Now there's not a ton of people I could do that, but the ones that are there, they're soulmates also. Yes. And that was the part that has resonated with me so deeply is that we have many soulmates. I just want people to really hear that and what you had just shared that Brian is your soulmate and it could have been other people. Yeah. Yeah. And I also believe that there are soulmates that get married and have kids and stay together for 20, 25 years and then divorce. And it doesn't mean that they weren't soulmates. All that it means is that the relationship had an expiration date, but that ex is still a soulmate. Yes. You know, I remember Wayne Dyer talking about that and that we have contracts. Yes. No, these sacred contracts. Yes. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I really felt like that with my business when I had my PR firm and I was doing publicity for Wayne and Louise Hay and Marion Williamson and Deepak Chopra and Neil Donald Walsh and all of those folks, because I had them all. I really believe that I came into this life with a sacred contract with each of them to work with them and to help them with their careers. And at the end of 2004, even though my business was at the peak and I couldn't have been doing any better than I was, I shut it down because I realized I had fulfilled all my sacred contracts. I was complete and I was done. And I felt done on every level. Now, did I know what I was gonna do next? I didn't have a clue. I mean, it was this giant leap of faith. The thing that I knew for sure was that I was done. And so that happens in some relationships. You know, you had the three kids, you built the life together, it doesn't have to be somebody had an affair, somebody betrayed somebody. It doesn't have to be horrible. It just is, we're done. And so it doesn't mean also that that's the only soulmate or the only love that you'll ever have. No, there's more out there, you know, absolutely. You know, we live in an abundant universe. And the thing that I know for sure is there's no shortage of love. What is the essential message that you want to make sure that our listeners hear, that they take away with them? The thing that I know for sure 
is that there's more than enough love for everybody. No matter how much you weigh, how much money you have or you don't have, whatever your age is, age is not a barrier to soulmate love. There are no barriers to love. The only barriers that exist, exist in your limiting beliefs. So if you believe I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too damaged, all the good ones are taken, I live in the wrong city. If you believe any of those things, then you will make yourself right over and over and over again. So the biggest obstacle to manifesting love is entertaining those limiting beliefs because there is no shortage of love. I think one of the really important things out of this episode that I got was the importance of knowing that we have many soulmates during our lifetime, that our soulmate can be our closest friends, it can be our partners, not just one, and that when we meet that person that we really feel at home with, that we feel that sense of connection and authenticity, we can just totally relax and be ourselves those are the people that become our soulmates. You know, we've all had those friends where it doesn't matter if you haven't talked to them for two years or 10. The moment you pick up the phone or see them, you click right back into that groove where you're absolutely connected. So it's such a beautiful thing to know that we have this abundance of love in our lives. And that right now, what an important time to know that love is available for all of us. I think one of the beautiful things was the exercise that she talked about of just waking up in the morning and putting your hand on your heart and being thankful, being in deep gratitude for what's already there, for all the love in your life. We all experience love. And so it's if it's the love of our friends, the love of one of our beloved pets, or the love of a partner, we can let that love just marinate in our hearts. As we focus on that sensation, that feeling of love, we really bring ourselves into a higher vibration. We bring ourselves into a place where we feel that abundance instead of lack. That helps us to gravitate even more love into our lives. So whether you feel like you found your soulmate now, or you still feel like you're looking Take inventory in your life of who might already be that special soulmate. Because it might be just one of your very best friends. Soulmates come in all shapes and sizes. I think the important thing to remember right now is that love is always available to us. And that you are love. It's who you are. It's your essence. So you can tap into that feeling at any time that you choose. We're all on this journey together. As we realize the abundance of love within us, then we're better able to connect with others and share that love. And we can help make the world a better place. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO FM.